0: This is the Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, RGOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. Thank you for joining us. The 2019 Atlantic hurricane season is here. We have important information for you and your family to help get us through the season. We will be joined by Ken Graham, the Director of the National Hurricane Center. There have already been a few tropical systems popping up on the radar already. And if you are a business owner or potential business owner, there are steps you need to take with the state fire marshal's office. Butch Browning will join us to talk about the plans you need to submit with the state and how that could help you with recovery after a disaster. Before we get started with our interviews, we like to start each episode with an emergency preparedness tip. Today, we are once again talking about your personal communication and contact plans. If you have children at a school or daycare, ask questions about the emergency policies for that campus. Find out how they will contact you during an emergency. Depending on the event, you may not be able to pick up your child. Check on the authorization school officials require to release your child to a designated person for pickup. Also, your family may not be able to get together when an emergency occurs. Think about a contact point where you could meet. Communications often become strained during an emergency. A rally point at a friend or relative's home outside the impacted area could be a good point to meet. You may not be able to go home if evacuations are ordered. That is today's preparedness tip. (music) Moving on now to our first interview. Earlier, we spoke by phone with Ken Graham, the director of the National Hurricane Center. But many of you may know him from his previous stint as meteorologist in charge for the National Weather Service office in Slidell, covering the Baton Rouge and New Orleans region. Ken has extensive experience working directly with emergency managers during numerous high-impact events, including nearly two decades along the U.S. coast. He has deployed to emergency operations centers, provided impact-based decision support briefings for emergency managers and elected officials, and delivered numerous training sessions and exercises related to tropical weather. Ken was elected a board member of the Louisiana Emergency Preparedness Association, is a member of the National Weather Association, and the American Meteorological Society, and is a licensed ham radio operator. Ken, thank you for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Just great to be here.
0: I want to start by saying we are fortunate to have you in your new role, but the service you and the National Weather Service staff have provided us is probably greater than most people realize. We're lucky to have those relationships here in Louisiana. Now, if we could kind of talk about hurricane season, we've already had a minor threat in the Bay of Campeche as the season started. A few weeks ago, a minor threat popped up in the Atlantic. Can we read anything into those early storms?
1: i tell you, historically, you can get those early storms and really doesn't really have a total bearing on what the season is going to be like. But i tell you, you know, the the minor threats in the the Bay of Campeche just sure reminds us it it doesn't take that that name storm, it doesn't take that big storm uh, to, to bring in tropical moisture from Texas all the way to Louisiana. It just had some flooding rain. So it's, it's just another reminder to be really careful about, um, you know, associating any of these these systems with having to have a name or be strong. Just you got to listen for those impacts and those forecasts, even for rain.
0: You know, we did a couple of presentations uh, with our local partners uh, kind of at the beginning of hurricane season. And one of the things the National Weather Service really seemed to be stressing was you know, with some storms you have four or five, maybe a few days longer to prepare, but with some storms that pop up in the Gulf, you may not have uh, that long of a window. Is that something you're really trying to get the public to understand?
1: Yeah, it really is. And it was interesting, you know, with Hurricane Michael um, moving into Florida last year, and we knew there's only about three days lead time on that, that category five. So we, we looked back at records of some of those category fives. And by the way, there's only been uh, four category fives ever hit the, the United States. And and it's interesting that every single one of those was a tropical storm just three days prior. So it, it's a, it's a reminder that, you know, we, we don't always have a situation where you can watch them come out of the Atlantic into the Gulf and lots of lead time. If they form in the middle of the Gulf, it may only be two or three days before you feel those impacts. So it goes back to being prepared and being ready to to be able to activate your your family plan your business plan really quick when you have to
0: you recently joined us for the Louisiana Emergency Management Conference in Lake Charles as part of that presentation you mentioned statements from the public can be concerning sometimes I want to mention a couple you provided and tell us your thoughts on each one so the first one you mentioned was it's never flooded here before why is that uh, a little concerning
1: yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, I guess 25 years of doing this, you, you start to see just a lot of a lot of impacts over the years. And it's, you know, it's never flooded here before. And, you know, and a lot of times it, it, it comes from, you know, places that, you know, houses were built in, in the 90s or the 2000s or the house is only 10 or 15 years old. But to say it's never flooded there before, it's a very short record in history when it comes to rainfall. So, I, I think it's just a reminder. Just because it hasn't happened in the past doesn't mean it can't happen. And anywhere in the state of Louisiana, you get flooding rains. Any sort of tropical moisture, and it, even outside of hurricane season, with a stalled front, if there's enough rain, you could definitely flood. So it's just something to be aware of.
0: And another phrase is they always turn when talking about you know maybe a tropical threat.
1: You know, it, and we hear that a lot. And it's one of these things that you don't have to be. Uh, just in the track to feel those impacts. I mean, if you look at the the cone that we issue here at the Hurricane Center, that is simply where the center could be two-thirds of the time. So a couple things to remember, a third of the time outside the cone, but lots of impacts outside of that. So we, if you haven't been hit in a while, um, that that doesn't mean anything. That just means it's turned somewhere else. Um, you know, it's just a, 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 by chance that they've turned. And if it happens for a while, we have a tendency to say that. They always turn. That's not the case. It only takes one, and you got to be prepared to see if you're going to be hit.
0: You know, you brought up a good point because I was uh, able to go work in a couple of other parts of the country as, as storms threaten the coast. And that cone, there is a lot of misunderstanding about that. Even even in other parts of the country, you hear people think, well, I'm outside the cone so I'll be okay, but but that is a very important thing to to state that the the impacts are much greater a lot of times.
1: Yeah, it's it's really important fact because it's you know we we you know we ask people what shapes their decision making, whether they're going to evacuate or not. And a lot of times they'll they'll say, "Well, I'm in the cone or not in the cone," and we, we have to talk about that more because that that's not one of the factors. It, it's about those impacts and. The cone is not it's not a cone of impact. And I will say we we have an interesting study that we have going on where we're involving social and behavioral science. We're gonna study the cone and get a lot of data to see if there's ways that we can change the cone to, to really start reflecting more of these impacts. So we're gonna have data on that in the next couple of years and, and we're really gonna study this more to make sure we get, you know, people to, to take the right um actions. Based on the products that we issue.
0: One of the other comments you mentioned was, "I thought these storms came once in a hundred years." With a lot of the big flood events in Louisiana over the past couple of years, there does seem to be some misperception, I guess, about that uh, statement.
1: Yeah, I think it's an important statement. And, and if you, the Weather Service, we rarely even use the terminology "one in one hundred uh, storm" or "a hundred-year storm." We, we try not to do that because. You know, We saw in the, in the Baton Rouge flood in 2016, there's a lot of places outside of that, that 1% that flooded. So it, it isn't about all that. And, and a 100-year storm can happen two years in a row. All, all that 100-year storm means is a, the statistical analysis of 1 in 100 chance every single year. So a 1% chance every single year. And what, what concerns me is that doesn't really sound like a big deal. It doesn't sound like a big chance, one in 100, 1% chance. But if but if we change that terminology, I, I mentioned this in the presentation, it's, it's important. The same thing as 1% or one in 100 is also a 26% chance of flooding in your 30-year mortgage. All those are the same. So that gets more, more attention. And, and, and we got to talk about it. If it can rain, it can flood. And, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a reason to always be prepared.
0: No doubt. So uh, one of the other phrases, and this is kind of a uh, a pet peeve of mine, I guess, when it, when I'm dealing with my friends and relatives, even. But when you hear people say it's just a tropical storm, uh, why why bring up that phrase in your presentation?
1: I tell you, Louisiana is no stranger to that. I mean, you, you look at the, the the Baton Rouge flood that didn't have a name because it didn't have the wind. Uh, there's there's you know, the, the category is based on the wind. There's no such thing as just a Cat 1 or just a tropical storm. And the, the data is very clear. In the last 10 years, Category 1 storms have caused 175 fatalities and $103 billion worth of damage. Wow! So it, it's not about the, those big categories. It, it has nothing to do with that. It's about the impacts. If there's, you know, a forecast for... 15 inches, 20 inches of rain, 30 inches of rain. Listen, it, it doesn't matter what the category is. That rain's going to cause flooding. So it's, it's so important to realize, never say just a tropical storm, just a one. Isaac, you know, I go back to that and I remember, you know, people saying just a cat one. But look, it was a 12-foot storm surge. That was 8.2 foot of storm surge in Lake Pontchartrain. I mean, and that was from a one. So it's mm-hmm. about size. It's about speed. Not about the category
0: and the final one we'll kind of delve into is it this didn't happen last time why is that uh, why should you avoid that type of uh, thought process when it comes to storms
1: you know just because it didn't happen last time doesn't mean it couldn't happen next time it's it's one of these situations that we we have a tendency every human has a tendency to base their risk analysis on past experience and I can tell you little teeny changes in in a hurricane can make a big difference on the ground. 30 miles difference could mean for any given spot. It could mean uh, a couple feet of storm surge or over 10 feet of storm surge. So those little wiggles really do matter. So just because it didn't happen last time doesn't mean it couldn't happen next time. And and we can never take that chance. You have to be able to, to listen to the local officials. You have to think about what could happen to you. Um, I think that's an important factor because if you compare storms, I'm just being completely uh, really open with this. If you compare storms, it could actually uh, be very dangerous to do that. Every single one of them are so different.
0: Absolutely. So I I thought that was a great presentation. A couple of things you included, too, is my house is elevated. Uh, I thought we would be fine, and I live 100 miles from the coast. I didn't expect this, but I think we've seen – enough experiences here in Louisiana where you know it's not just a coastal impact. A lot of times you see those, those major problems you know, well up into the Midwest or the Northeast sometimes from storms that impact us. So uh, we appreciate you taking the time with that presentation and uh, hopefully we can help get that message out. Um, now, another important thing for the public involves where they get their emergency alerts and information, and I know this is something you've stressed in recent years, why is that so important and why do you focus on that topic a lot of times when you're dealing with the public?
1: Well, I think I think these days there's just so much information out there and, and I think it's really important to to know that, you know, we at the, the Hurricane Center across the whole weather service, we're constantly talking to the emergency managers. You 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 all at the state, we're talking to the the parishes, um, you know, we're constantly talking to the, our partners in the media. We we all are very close behind the scenes to get the right information out. So just you know, just Making sure everybody realizes, make sure you get um, you know the latest information from from all of us partners in, in the whole um, business of, of emergencies. Because if you start doing your own analysis of the models, you know you start you know we, we don't look at one single model. We look at a whole um, whole host of them and we blend those together. So it, it's so important to make sure that that you're you're listening to the latest information and the forecast changes. I, I think it's another thing that I mentioned during the talk that. Forecast does change. We can't anchor on the first piece of information that we get. The forecast changes, they evolve. We talked about those strong storms, those those category fives were just tropical storms three days prior. That forecast can change. So have the latest, constantly get the latest information. And look, if if you have your favorite source, bookmark it now, have that source, and that's the one you go to when you need it. But the biggest thing is listen to the local officials, the parishes, you all at the state. Do, do such a great job uh, getting that information out. I think everybody should uh, make sure they have those locations bookmarked on their phone and also their computers.
0: I want to bring up one example you talk about a lot, and that's uh, if you look hard enough, you can find what you're looking for as far as a storm path. So we had a situation with that Bay of Campeche, you know, system that kind of popped up a few days ago, and that was actually kind of on a on a track for about a 10 day forecast earlier. So when it finally popped up, we started looking at it and one of the long range forecasts actually took it right up to the central Gulf of Mexico. And so when it popped up, I started seeing if anybody had those types of models. And sure enough, I found a couple of people that predicted it was going to come up into the you know, straight up into the Gulf, but you know, most had it going into Mexico. But I thought about you because you always said if you look hard enough you can find whatever you're looking for on the internet and that was exactly true with that with that situation.
1: And that's such a great example because there was one of the models that, that strengthened it into a pretty strong hurricane and, and brought it right up into Louisiana, close to New Orleans. And yeah, we, we see all that. We look at that. And it was only a couple runs. It, it didn't mm-hmm. happen uh, prior. It happened one or two model runs and, and then it stopped. After that, it picked up on something. We, we never bought off on that. The forecast was never for that. So that that's what we're talking about. If you, if you look hard enough, you'll find one of those and and you start getting a you know some hurricane fatigue if you start you know looking at those every single time. So that that once again it, it's so important you know listen to the official forecast because you know we're looking at all that we're taking all that into account and it's not just one model. We got dozens and dozens that we look at.
0: Well, thank you for your time. We really appreciate the support you provide for Louisiana and and now everyone you know potentially impacted by these storms. But thank you for joining us. We always look forward to having you on the show.
1: Absolutely, anytime.
0: Moving on now to our second interview, Butch Browning has served as the state fire marshal for Louisiana since March of 2008. For the past three decades, he served in all levels of fire service, including stints as fire chief for District 6 in Baton Rouge and the City of Gonzales Fire Department. Sir, thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah, Mike, it's an honor to be with you right now, buddy. I appreciate you giving me some time.
0: Now, what we're going to talk about is something that's not directly tied to emergency management, but it's still important in other ways. That's submitting a plan review with your office. now, for those not familiar with this process, explain what that
2: involves well, post incident post storm, uh, we've created a real expedited way of of getting people back in the buildings, and you know, has we um as we survey buildings, we find that we can quickly on-site permit a building, but many buildings are going to require repair, whether it be structural, electrical, uh, or even fire protection systems for that manner. They're going to require repair before they can be occupied. So the plan review process is our normal process of, of, of getting buildings into commerce uh, as we operate every day in the fire marshal's office. But this process of plan review after an emergency is a much more expedited process where you would go online to our portal and uh, you would actually uh, enter in uh, the scope of work to be performed. And then we would real quickly grab that information live uh, and issue whatever uh, orders that need to be issued to make sure that building is built to the current editions of the fire code for the state of Louisiana. Uh, it's a real quick process in emergencies because we, we have a lot of depth in our people that are doing those reviews. Typically we do those reviews in five days, but after an emergency, we, uh, we attempt to get things turned around within 24 hours.
0: If someone has has taken this step properly or, or kept their information updated, is that something that could also uh, help them kind of speed up the recovery process?
2: Well, you know, absolutely. Uh, but I have to tell you, depending on the scope of the damage, you know, I mean, if you had significant damage to a building uh, and, and you're, you know, doing a, a major uh, project, you know, it may take time even having Having the old plans or having plans drawn up are important, but they still may need to be, uh, uh, I guess, adjusted or modified to meet the actual damage. But, yeah, I think it's a good idea. To have copies of your, your latest approved building plans to your building, that's important because that's because that's certainly a, a point you can move from. And in, in all actuality, those plans, if they're not too old, could be relevant to that new review that may be required, again, would expedite the process.
0: And I know you and your teams have kind of gone around the country helping out with some of the recent events. I know we were both up in the Carolinas as Florence came on you know, inshore last year. Are these kind of lessons learned you you've learned from our events in these other spots around the country or, or how did how did this type of change come into play
2: Well you know absolutely and, and I'll tell you you know we've, we've always been looked at in the fire marshal's office in, in, in our lead roles uh, as, as the, uh, the, the urban search and rescue group the uh, the firefighting group and our responsibility to coordinate those people to do that and respond. well you know but we, we actually learned in the 2016 flood, Mike that our role in recovery was probably just as important as that so one of the biggest lessons that is learned on this topic that you and I are talking about um, is our ability to take our fire marshal deputies and supplement it with with other partners to actually to be actually be able to go out and do on-site inspections you know in the 2016 flood uh, I mean we inspected thousands of structures for Livingston Parish uh on, on a basically a mobile permitting program where we would go out door to door and do quick assessments of homes to number one, report back to the parish what buildings would need uh, further inspection before power could be restored. But secondly, to go ahead and authorize work so homeowners could could begin uh, getting their homes livable again. Now, you know, we have uh, really perfected it in the last few responses of uh, the, the, the Texas Hurricanes, Port, Port Arthur, Texas. Uh, we've deployed a, the same new program uh, just recently in Ruston where we now we now work on a, a computerized paperless app that starts off with our primary searches where we're documenting conditions of buildings, but then that information then flows to inspections where we're collecting photographs and collecting critical information that FEMA needs to know. and and. Go set for that matter uh, in damage assessment. So what's happened now uh, in, in more recent disasters, we've provided a complete assessment that's GIS uh, that provides uh, you know damage assessments uh, that's real time. And 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 when FEMA comes in to do their damage assessments, they're actually using our data and building upon that. So we really have a great. Uh, assessment tool now that we use and, you know, we've trained our people to to, to do it just recently at the uh, Louisiana LEPC conference. um, I was able to speak about that and many parish directors had a lot of interest in that and we're going now and training them on how to use it because anybody can operate it. Uh, I mean, a, a simple smartphone or tablet is all you need. Uh, the backbone operates on our server, uh, and we turn the incident on, and it, it just provides a lot of great information.
0: You know, we had a meeting last night in uh, St. James Parish with some of the local officials down there, and they're actually utilizing some of that same information that you're talking about. Uh, it, and it's important for us to get that that message across to the public. You know, it it takes steps to get the disaster recovery process rolling, and you have to have good, updated information. number one start the recovery process but like you said also moving into the contractor obligations and and different steps that are needed to uh to begin that work
2: right and you know it it should be noted i mean we have a, a standard procedure in place that we turn on after a disaster depending on what it is if it's a wind disaster or a water disaster what it might be but we expedite a lot of things uh, with with approvals of of fire protection systems, uh, uh, the licensures that are required to do it, so we've got a really good process to to kind of predict where the the bottleneck might be and and get these buildings back into commerce, and and we deploy some some really good methods to make sure that don't happen. And get, and I guess it's what you just said earlier. It, it's unfortunately it's we've had disasters here, but those disasters have given us a uh, better model, give us lessons learned. So uh, ha- as we're faced with the next disaster, because we will, uh, we can do it to the best of our ability and protect the public.
0: Staying in on the uh, plan review topic, are, are there any steps that, that maybe a business owner can take ahead of time or a few examples you could give us of of how they could um, you know, make sure they have everything they need in place?
2: Well, you know, and and that's a great question, and I think that the the first answer to that question is is uh, one of Gosip's big uh, promotions, and that's get a game plan. I mean, there's a lot of things you should do in your home and in your business to be prepared for a disaster, and and to make sure that you have a continuity of operations if your building, in fact, does have a uh, a hit of some storm or some disaster to where you keep operating. But one piece of that. Is you should have you know building plans uh, protected that can be retrieved uh, to help you understand how that building was built, what the building's built out of. Uh, so if repairs have to be made, uh, we can quickly approve that. And, and I'll tell you, most of the time, the biggest disasters that we've had, uh, we've issued an order allowing construction to take place without a plan to review if you're building the building exactly like it was before the damage. And the damage to the building is less than 50%. Uh, And that's a pretty common sense approach, uh, you know, and, you know, a lot of regulators kind of cringe when when you say that, but I mean, it really is a common sense approach. So, you know, if your building is not going to be damaged by 50% and you're building it exactly like it was many times we give a, you know, a, a, a permit without even looking at it because you know we believe that you know we still go back a final inspection but we believe that there's no there's no harm in that now but honestly what happens you know people when when they when they receive these kind of damages to their buildings they really go back and more modernize their building or try and expand their building Mm -hmm. or or change the floor plan now that would absolutely require uh, a plan review
0: all right and so we normally uh with this episode, we would have a resource segment that we would provide uh, information to the public, but we kind of want to change it up with this episode. Where can people go to find out more information about the plan review or what are some of the resources that you guys have available?
2: Sure. Well, you know, so our our website, lasfm.org, is is the, the stop for everything. So on our website, you can read about our plan review process and read what's required. But on that same website is the portal uh, to go into our information management system which is our master computer system uh, our office is completely paperless we we operate internally and externally with our stakeholders uh, through our, our cloud uh, so you you know you don't have to you know come and, and sit at our desk and, and that kind of thing but it but it provides all that information you need like I said you, you click on our, the plan review section on our website you'll see what codes are uh, required. You'll see the processes in, in in applying for a modification to a building. And then we would also, in the event of a disaster, we put the emergency orders on the front page of our website too. So people could go to our website, post a disaster and see what expedited orders we've done. But you know, Mike, what we do, uh, we'll embed with those affected parishes and our deputies will be knocking on their door when, when they raise the flag if they need help, as opposed to having to, to, to touch us through the web. I mean, we we really work real closely with the local building officials and and supplement their operations to make sure that we we work as a team to satisfy the fire code and the building code. But more overly, make sure if people are in buildings that they're safe. That's always been my concern. You know, when I, when I see these storms and people are out of power and. Or in a damaged home well that might be good for 24 hours but after 24 hours it becomes a very very dangerous situation
0: well and it's so important in the overall recovery phase to get these businesses you know it's great to see you guys are are taking these steps because once an area has their businesses return that whole recovery process really ramps up to another level so if we can get them back online you know, as quickly as possible. And it's good to see you guys are, are taking that yep. proactive approach.
2: And I might also add on, on our YouTube channel, Louisiana Office of State Fire Marshal, uh, we do have a tutorial video on our plan review section, a did you know section.
0: Well, we appreciate you taking time out with us today. That website uh, does have a lot of great information. Uh, there's information on there you may not be aware of that's, that's available and it's really easy to access that. So, We appreciate you taking time out with us and explaining that process for us.
2: Absolutely. And and call on us if you need any more information. We appreciate being a partner with GoSep.
0: You bet. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank Director Ken Graham with the National Hurricane Center and Louisiana State Fire Marshal Butch Browning for joining us today. Don't forget to check out the resources we mentioned today to help you and your business finalize an emergency plan. You can get more information at getagameplan.org. We also want to thank the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at DonateLifeLA.org. They have a great podcast titled The Gifted Life Podcast. For more on most of the topics we talked about today, go to GetAGamePlan.org, And don't forget to follow Gosep on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, Get a Game Plan. On behalf of the staff at Gosep, thanks for joining us. We'll have a new episode available next month. This podcast is produced in partnership with Lopa and the Gifted Life Podcast. To find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.